Hello everybody and welcome to Back to Front. Okay, episode number two. With me, I'm your host and it's Sandy Holt. Today is a new show where we're going to get to turn the tables on Midnight McBride. In this show we get to ask a series of questions which Midnight is not allowed to see prior to filming. This is a show where anything goes. This is going to be interesting. Good luck. Oh, oh dear. Yeah. I'm a little bit nervous, Sandy. Well, actually. Yeah, well, I'm in the hot seat. I know. I'm, not, I'm <laughs> normally in control and I have no say in what goes here, so we shall see. Well, when I got the call, um, I thought it was an interesting one. Back to front. I have a yeah. saying, I always call it front to back. It confuses people. Yeah. Um, either way you look at it, um, we've turned the tables. Yeah. And you asked me for some questions, which... and which is the truth, by the way, he has not seen these. I mean, I only wrote these out at four o'clock this morning because well, I'm a bit of a night bird. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I've got 10 interesting questions. It might be interesting to you. Yeah, I've <laughs> got a feeling we'll only need one or two because of the amount of words that come out of our mouths. But yeah. Well, somebody asked the other day, they said, uh, are you all right talking? I said, well, oh, yeah, we've been doing it since we're about two years of age, isn't it? So, right, shall we hit you with the first question? Sure, let's do it, Sunday. All right, okay. Um, I'm going to start at the beginning, like I suppose everybody would do. Um, where was you born? Yeah, I was born in Bolton, so I'm a Bolton lad. But as a child, I've been moved around quite a lot. And initially, for the first probably five years of my life, in and out of Africa. So... I was in Nigeria, in Lagos, uh, that's the capital, and a saying they have there is, life is cheap, it's a dangerous place, you know. We saw some things there that I don't think kids should see, really, you know. Yeah, to and fro from Africa, and yeah, it was interesting, I suppose. But yeah, then back to Bolton. Right, back to Sunny Bolton. All yeah. roads lead back to Bolton. Well, so in total, yeah. how long was you in Africa for? We went, it was a bit sporadic. I think we went for six months, came back for six months, went for six months, came back for six months. We were back and forwards a lot, you know. So I'm taking it your your, your, your father or your, your mother or your, they was working there, they had a job, full-time job there? Yeah, or? my father was a QS for Costain and, you know, kind of quite high up in the construction industry at the time. And so it was follow the work and follow the money, so that's what we did, you know. I don't know, there's... I have mixed feelings about it, really, because as a child, on one hand, moving around, travelling is great, you know, because you get to see life and experience different cultures. But on the other hand, it's very good to have some kind of consistency, being at the same school with the same people and you form relationships. So there were some pluses and some minuses. Right. Um, I was having this conversation with a friend the other day. I was saying that routine is a double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah. Um, without it, it it's chaos. Um, but with it... You know, uh, we need it because, you know, obviously now with this, what's been going on this year, you know, with all the, um, we're not trying to touch too much on the subject of COVID, but um, it's thrown a lot of things into flux and, you know, everything's gone a bit chaotic. We need routine. You know, you see families, you know, the, the kids are going off the rails, not honestly off the rails. I mean, you know, just lost a little bit of, you know, th this, um, you know, sort of glue that, w that families have and, yeah. you know, tradition and everything else has all, you know, it's gone out the window. Um, have you got any siblings? Yes, I've got an older sister, Bernadette, and she lives in Manchester. I've got a younger sister, Gabrielle, or Gabrielle, uh, Gabrielle, and she's actually in a band called Out of the Grey, and they've had a few albums on iTunes and so on, so she's quite successful in that. And she's with her partner, Steph, and then I've got a brother, younger brother, Liam, who was a British champion Thai boxer, uh, and did the MMA with me and things like this, and he's married to his wife, Vicky, and they've got three kids as well. So, but yeah, one brother, two sisters. Yeah. Right. So four, same as myself. Yeah. yeah I'm one of, um, there's four of us, four lads. Um, right. Moving on. Um, this is an interesting one. I got asked this once. Um, talking about as you, you know, step into life. Yeah. Can I just say something, Sandy? I think this is quite funny. I've had to readjust the video equipment and the camera to fit your hair on. Because oh, yeah. when, I, when I set the camera up, I thought I'd set everything up, but you came and I didn't allow six Otherwise inches Otherwise I'd look bald, wouldn't I? Yeah, yeah, got, yeah. 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 What, uh, I was on the show, Small Angry Men, you know, being one of the smallest <laughs> yeah. guys. And, you know, I needed that for the, but uh, made me look a bit taller. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for that, Justin. Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting question, perhaps, so you want to see it. What was the youngest age that you can remember being? It's a good question, and I know the answer immediately. I remember we used to live on, I think it's called Broderick Drive, a house in Braitmer. While I was a child, up until the age of 15, I lived in about 
15 houses, I mean, moved all the time. And wow. obviously that doesn't include Africa and everything else. And I remember I was having a picture taken. It's quite strange. I was having a picture taken and I had my little toy with me. It was a Weeble Wobble, they used to be called. Weebles Wobble, but they don't fall down. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Had my toy with me, sat on a car. I think I was dressed as a cowboy. And I remember I had thoughts as a child that maybe other people don't. And I remember thinking, looking at the camera, thinking, years from now, I'm going to look at this picture from the other side and I'll remember what I was thinking at that moment. And that is my first memory of being a child. And I've we've still got the picture. And it's bizarre because I remember thinking from the other side. Do you, do you know what I mean? Also, around that time as well, I ran away. I, I think just for a brief moment, my mum took her, her eyes off me and I just shot up and legged it up the road and I ran to the top of this big hill and they were screaming after me, couldn't find me and everything. And I remember that as well. But yeah, sat on a car with my picture taken thinking in, you know, 20, 30 years from now, I wonder what I'll be doing and thinking then when I'm looking back at this picture while I was having the picture taken as a child. Because a lot of people don't... Um, I, I was asked that question once um, and it really threw me because it's not a question that people ask and, you know, I'm not trying to you know, make myself, myself important here by asking un, unusual or different questions. It's just the question that people, like I said, really don't ask people and it's something yeah. you don't really challenge yourself to be. Um, how it, how actually, actually how it came about was... Um, was talking about, saying about people making such a fuss over the child's first birthday, whether it be a boy or a girl, and having a cake and a party and everyone goes over the top. The child is completely oblivious to the fact that there's a beautiful birthday cake there with one candle in it, that, which yeah. doesn't get to blow out because it wouldn't know how to. So at what age, when you, you know, you've just told me that, but what mm. age was you? I, I so what's your youngest sure. age you can remember you I was being? I think I was... About three, maybe About something three. like that. That seems to be the, the, mm. the census. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting this because if you put a child in a mirror, in front of a mirror up until the age of two or three usually, um, it can be younger, it varies for everybody, but they think there's somebody in the mirror. Yeah, It's only when they become self-aware, when they look and think, oh, that's me. And they realise, they, they develop this sense of identity and they know who they are. And that that is a pivotal point in the you know, the evolution of a human being as a person grows, this point where they gain this self-identity. Yeah. And that's, the, that's, you know, that's basically what the question was. And, and it's interesting how you explained it there as to when you said you was, that was a, a total self-awareness for you to say that what, that was, what was happening was the, was the camera. Yeah. What was happening that you were seeing it from what would and could happen in years to come, yeah. remembering looking back on that moment, but it'll stay with you for the rest of your life, yeah. won't it? It's, it's, as children, we don't normally think like that, but I, I've done it since where somebody's taken a picture and I think, I'll remember this moment. I wonder in 10 years when I look at this picture where I'll be and what I'll be doing. I often think that, you know, will I still be alive is a, a good one as well, yeah. Brilliant. Okay, um, we're two questions in. And uh, I'm going into question number three. Again, maybe a strange one. It's something that stands out in your life like that moment. Moving on a little bit now, I'm guessing into your... Um, well, it could have happened before being a teenager. I was a teenager at the time when this happened, but... Uh, we still don't know your age, Sandy. No, no one knows. It's the uh, world's best kept secret. secret. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 30-plus VAT and SAT, Sandy added tax. Um, how old was you when you had your first kiss? Ah, that's interesting. That's uh, refreshing. It's funny, you see, because as I grew up, although I might have been quite, you know, ballsy and, and whatnot, that didn't come to a little bit later on. And so I was very shy and frightened to death of women and girls, you know, to a point. And I lost, actually lost my virginity quite late compared to a lot of people as well. But my first kiss, I'm thinking, you know, maybe proper... Depends what you mean by kiss, but I mean, if we're saying a snog. I mean, a snog, as we yeah, would call it, yeah, yeah, on yeah. the lips, pull on, uh, yeah, a snog. yeah, sloppy snog, you know, yeah. yeah. I'm not certain, but it was actually quite late. I think I was, yeah, maybe about 13, something like that, 14. Right, well, I was like you, I was a late developer. I was yeah. 14 when I had my first one, and it was a mess. Yeah, oh, it, it, it always is, isn't it? Yeah, it ruined me, it mm. ruined me. The, the comments that the, the girl gave, the girl was a bit of a, um, well, no, that doesn't sound nice. She was um, <laughs> a, a lot of, she was an Irish girl, really, really, I, I, you know, you get this lovely like ginger hair. Yeah. She's got a nice, nice complexion. Yeah, milky she was, skin. She was, yeah. yeah, she was lovely, and a lot of the guys fancied her. And she was quite, you know, she was very bouncy and very lively. And all, you know, there's an attraction there that boys had as a teenager, as they would do. You know, you're going through that uh, transition period, and um, yeah, she was <laughs> never forget her. And 
some of the other friends and lads had said, you know, um, to her, go and kiss Sandy. You know what I mean? He's never kissed a girl. You know, and I was like, dead embarrassed yeah, like you. Yeah, anyway. like, what do so, I do? Yeah, I, I was, do? The, the term they used to use is frigid or yeah. whatever. I was frightened to death of yeah, girls. Yeah, I was scared you know? to death. And she came home and she went, come here, come here. Kiss me on the lips. You know, <laughs> this lovely silky Irish accent. And, I, and, and she basically stuck one on me, you know, which yeah. is... And I did this, like, whatever I did, you know, so I'm like, oh, you yeah, know, right? yeah. and she just turned around and all the lads, they were all laughing and, you know, cause he, and, and I was just so embarrassed. It was, it, it ruined me almost, but I'll never forget a word. They, they resonate for the, uh, <laughs> she just said, it was like a two-year-old kissing a grandmother. It ruined oh. me. That, no wonder I was a late starter. <laughs> no, I, I think the first time it's horrendous. And then after maybe about six goals, you think, oh, it's actually quite nice, this kissing business, but... Nobody's very good at it first off, are they? You, you know, you're, you're it's learning. It's time aren't for you? everything. You're isn't discovering it? your your body and how everything works. You know, and and your mouth and how to kiss. So, yeah. <laughs> you can't remember a name, can you? I can, but I'm not going to say. I got to say. No, that's the same with, no, with the Irish girl. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> she might not want me to. Let's put it no, that way. We'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> so we're moving nicely along. Midnight McBride. We're here for question number four. Mr. Midnight McBride sat in the hot seat. How's it feeling over there? Um. Different. Okay. Um, this is sort of a double-sided question, really. So two questions in one. Um, what was your first job and how many jobs have you had in your life? More than anybody I know. Anyway, a lot. I think my first job, I had a paper round when I was younger, so I started there. I used to spend my money on sweets. But my first proper job was putting cherries on cakes at Warburton's. And they had a factory, which is still there, I believe, up sort of Dean Road or Wigan Road. That was part cakes, wasn't it? That's it, part mm, cakes. Yeah. And I used to put cherries on cakes. Wow. And we're in a conveyor, this line of uh, what they call cherry bakewells, yeah. and there was three or four of us doing it. And we put these half cherries on, and I, I, I won't actually, I'll be careful what I say, but we used to have a bit of a laugh. And as the conveyor belt went on, at the end, whoever was at the end, everybody else would go really slow. So they'd have to try and get the cherries on. And if, had, <laughs> if the cakes went that way without the cherries on, they had to stop the production line and you got in a load of trouble. Mm. But uh, yeah, cherries on cakes, that was it. You know, it was well paid at the time, I think, as yeah. well, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not dissimilar to yourself. I did a paper round. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good grounding. I mm. think that is a really good grounding. Teach you so the to... value, you know. Of, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I don't know if you did the same, but I had to go out on a, I forget, I think it was something like a Friday night, and I had to do collection, which is basically you went and, and took the money. Yeah. And as a teenager, young, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, whatever, um, to go around and knock on someone's door and ask them for the, for the paper and money, for the papers, you know, that you've delivered all week. And they come out and they give you the, you know, whatever it was. And you had to have a bit of change with you. And you had to understand, you had to be good at maths. Otherwise, yeah. you know, somebody goes, right, you know, you, 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 your papers are £7.36. Here's a £10 note, you know, 36 pounds. So luckily I was I was reasonable at maths at school. So I managed to, to conquer that one. And you learn a little bit of communication. And obviously, you, you know, you've got the exercise, you get out. It's a good confidence builder. And I think it's yeah. a great grounding, something like that as a, as a young teenager before you get taken into, a, you know, proper employment. But, um, and I worked at Warburton like yourself and I, yeah. you know great company just around the corner yeah um you know amazing stuff so from I've, there from uh, from, got from the maybe, cherry on the cake which yeah. is a great story where did you go from there well i've got three maybe three things i'll tell you about my work and um, one is they used to call me no monday pat because i didn't turn in on mondays because oh. i used to party a lot and certainly when i was working in the construction industry mondays were a no-go you know and so i used to swap contracts you know i could have you know 15 jobs a year that kind of thing but I could get work very easily because when I did work, I was good at it, you know. I also had a job selling double glazing, going around knocking on doors for a while. And then there was one time, I'd only done it for a few weeks, and I knocked on this door and a guy came to answer the door. Must have been 20 stone, completely naked. I was in my teens and tried to drag me in the house. Whoa. So I packed that in. And then the third one, which I find hysterical, is for a long time I had relatives, my uncles, Francis and Sean, used to have a lot of property and so I used to collect the rents for them. I used to go around every Friday night and collect the rents and they had a lot of bed sits and flatlets and a lot, you know, 40 or 50 more. And they got great, they found great humour. Uh, my Uncle Francis in particular used to call me his rent boy because I, I used to collect the rent. <laughs> and I, when I told I people... I, words that you, you, I know. Yeah, you Advertised too often. When, when right. I told people I was a rent boy, I had to explain that I collected rents. The job was uh, yeah, yeah. firmly on you. So you, you've had basically a lot of jobs. A friend of mine, not too dissimilar to yourself, uh, he had, I remember, I mean, 10 jobs in one year. Yeah. 
And every time he jump, you know, jump a job, he'd come to me and he'd tell me what's going on. Oh, I've left this job because of this. I didn't get on with him. And, he, and I said, you know what? I said, it's called Darren Phillips. And I said to him, Darren, you know, it, don't see it as a failure. I said, see this as with your experimenting in different jobs, you're waiting to find your forte. And if you hadn't have done these 10 jobs, it won't lead you to the one that you're doing. And the one he's got and landed in now, which is what I do, which is a full-time Thai boxing instructor. Yeah. Um, it, it leads you to where you are now and it's part of your life, isn't it? I mean, just like when people have relationships and, you know, they hate their exes. And I say, whoa, wait a minute. I said, when you first met them, you didn't hate them. Yeah. Move on from it. Don't live in hate. Move on from there. I said, it's brought to you to where and who you are with now, perhaps. Because if you hadn't have had them, you wouldn't be with the person you are now or let you know what you don't want. <laughs> it's yeah. equal as much as what we do want. Exactly. If I hadn't have done all the stupid things I'd done in the past, I wouldn't be sat here doing this with you right now. So it's it's the difficult times and what you might call mistakes, but the lessons you learn along the way that guide you to this present moment. So, yeah. yeah. Where was your actual first holiday? That's a good question. I think initially when we were, you know, when I was a lot younger, we went to Spain a few times. So I've been to Spain and yeah, nice memories, nice holidays. But I don't think from that point, I mean, I, I'm very lucky I've traveled, you know, I've not, if you were to travel from now till the day you die, I couldn't see all the things I want to see. No. I love traveling. Agreed. I love experiencing new cultures, new food, meeting new people. I, I love it. And although I've traveled extensively, there's many, many places I've not been to yet. And so it's a passion of mine and I love to do it. And hopefully at some point in the not too distant future, we'll be doing it again. But in my early years, yeah, didn't do anything too exotic. It was Spain predominantly. We went there a couple of times, family holiday, yeah. very nice. Yeah. Which of all the places you've been, would you describe as your favorite? Um, and then adding to that question, which you can obviously jump on that with it, is to... Where would you like to go that you've not been that's obviously on your bucket list? Good questions, yeah. The favourite place I've ever been was actually the last place I've been, which was Mexico. But we went on the Pacific coast to, I think it's called Porta Valenta. I've, I've probably pronounced it wrong, but Porta Valencia or Valenta. I can't pronounce it right. And the hotel we stayed at, it, it was just, if, if there's such thing as a perfect holiday, it was a package holiday, you know, so you go and you're staying in a five-star hotel, it's right on the beach, beautiful pool and everything, but it wasn't too busy. And then during the daytime, we'd go out and we'd go and see Mexico. And there is some, if you get away from, you know, the Cancun side and all that business, there are some beautiful places in Mexico and it's the most beautiful ocean I've ever been in. And it was bliss. I think we went for 16 nights. So that was, you know, my favourite place I've ever been to just because... Yeah, I was just in experience, joy and bliss on a daily basis. Beautiful. And I did a lot of walking and running while I was there as well. When you go to somewhere not as commercial as what everybody goes to, I think you, you, you find yourself, don't you? You really do yeah. find yourself with, you know, with, with obviously, it's, you know, nature, which is, you know, it, it surrounds us everywhere. Um, but when you go to such a, a beautiful place like that, I, do you feel, I've said this to a lot of people about going on holiday. Um, and when I've said it, they've gone, oh, yeah, that's a good point. You own every second, don't you, while you're away? Because you've got no schedule. Yeah. And isn't that nice that you haven't done after clock? Off the clock. Off, off the, the clock. Beautiful, beautiful. And all the daily routines and when you're in your normal environment, your visual reminders as well, I must do this, I need to do that. And you're surrounded by the same people and the same things. Take all that away in a new place. You're exploring. And this is really important as well. Whenever I go for a run, if I run the same route, it's fine. But whenever I do a route for the first time, when I'm exploring, that is when I'm at my happiest, you know. And it's the same with a, a new place, you know. I didn't really do the big tourist things in Mexico at all, but we went out to little villages that probably nobody else ever went to, you know, and just local restaurants and has very small little coves and beaches and it's just beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Where would you like to go in the world um, on your bucket list? What's uh, your, your next adventure? Yeah, very tough question because there's so many places. I'd love to go to Bali. I've not been. I'd love to go to Hawaii. I've not been. Uh, I think the Polynesian culture and over that way, the P Pacific Islands is beautiful. And I suppose if I was doing one trip and you want to pick off, tick off as many places as you want in one go, it would be Vietnam, 
Cambodia and Indonesia. I've been to Thailand, and I know you've been there many, many times, Sandy, but I've not been to Vietnam, Cambodia, and I'd like to see some of the temples. I've been very fortunate to see those, Vietnam and Cambodia, and Bali as well. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, you, you're right in picking those places. But I think, you know, <laughs> it's like one of those, it's, um, you know, when you're cherry-picking, I think if you're going to pick somewhere, I'm like you, there's no favourite place that, you know, you think, well, I've, there's places that you've been to, obviously, because you yeah. know now, and you, you know you'd probably go back to many of those. I would, um, and there's places in the world that I've not been to. You mentioned one of them there, Hawaii. I'd love to see that. Yeah. I've not been to Japan. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to go and see that. Um, but I have seen quite a little bit of um, Southeast Asia. I've had the uh, the blessings uh, to do that, and so I think. It's, it is really an open question, isn't it? I'm like you. Somebody, if you reverse that, and I mean, bear in mind, I'm sat in yeah. your seat now here. Yeah. Been Night McBride. I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> you're being interviewed by me. But, um, you know, if you was asking me that question, <clears throat> I'd be like you. I'd say that area. Yeah, yeah. You can't pick. The, the world's too big, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, for me, if money wasn't a consideration and, you know, things weren't as they are at the minute, I'd, I'd just be travelling. That's what I'd be doing. I'd come back, I'd be here for six months, but six months a year, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. You know, cause... that's the ideal thing. I've said that yeah. many times. If I didn't have so much commitment here in Bolton and to, and to, to Bolton Thai Boxing Club and, you know, to my students and friends and family, yeah. I'd, I'd probably do, I'd love to do, because um, obviously winter here uh, isn't the best. No. And I would love to spend, you know, even if it was just three months of the year, you know, yeah. something like December, January, February, which I think are the coldest months. I could spend them abroad somewhere in yeah Southeast Asia and that's that part of the world which is always warm yeah. um, and you know and then come back here for three and back out there for three that would be the ideal world wouldn't yeah. it yeah and and for me Bali I've I've not been but it's the people I know a reasonable amount about the culture and you know the the traditions and so on it just seems like a, a beautiful place it is it's yeah. definitely you, you you will I know not knowing you and, and knowing what you like and I um yeah you, you would love that place yeah. it is it's stunning um right so um I don't want to touch on anything really negative today because there's enough of that going on isn't there? there is yeah yeah but I'm going to ask you this one um, Go for it. and then we'll, we'll lift it back up what are your three and I'm sure we've got all, a lot more um but, you know, it's not something that we, we, you know, we start stacking up. But what would you say your three worst pet hates are? Right. OK. <laughs> Again, these come straight to mind. These aren't difficult questions because I do have a few. One is people being late. It bothers me. <laughs> By the way, Sandy was late today. <laughs> no, but you actually told me you'd been late and that's fine. I've, this is how there's a certain person in my life that has always been late. Always. And it drives me crazy. The way I see it is your time is equally as, as important as mine. And so when you're late, once, maybe twice even, consistently, always late, what you're saying is, I'm more important than you. Now, for some people, it isn't that. It's just because they're useless and they can't manage themselves very well. And, and that is different. But some people can, but they just... Yeah, being late, I think it's a little bit disrespectful. If it's done regularly, I'm not talking about one-off and I'm, I'm not talking about somebody that's highly stressed, they've got five kids and they're trying to keep up. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody else that just thinks their time is more important than yours. And everybody's time is it's very important. valuable. Mm. You know, that's what I think. Secondly is putting your shoes on the side, <laughs> on a work surface. Shoes go on the floor. <laughs> and again, somebody I know, always puts the shoes if they've got shoes they'll put them on the side in the kitchen I'm like take them off the side you know so it's it's a personal thing but it bugs me you know and yeah then the last one again easy this if you're driving and you go past somebody and they don't wave after you let them out of you, yeah you, you, you let them through and then they drive and, it's and on my list I'll wind the one. window down and say thank you yeah. you know and I, I'm thinking just... Manners. Yeah. Courteous. It's, it's nice exactly. to be nice. Exactly. So I always, always, always wave, you know. Yeah, I, I just think it. it's a nice thing to do. That's a little bit of karma, isn't it? No matter how small. Yeah. It just all stacks up. Um, you know, I, I've got to definitely agree with you. And interestingly, I just I just picked you up on the point um, about the, the shoes. Um, obviously, with you know, you've been to Thailand and Southeast Asia, and they've got a different... It's a different culture out there completely. And I was only talking about this the day, about the simplicity of trying to get the Western mind to understand an Eastern way, is think of it as this. The most important part of a human being is the head. Yeah. Because it's where your brain is. Your brain is not in your feet. It's actually the opposite end, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So with your brain being up here, this being the most important. 
So the lowest part being your feet and on the floor is where it is dirty. So if you've got shoes on, there is obviously dirt. You wouldn't walk across the floor on your brain or yeah. your head yeah. and scrape along the floor and then, you know, put your head onto your, your nice clean pillar or your nice clean couch. You know, you just wouldn't do it. And you wouldn't wipe your dirty head across the carpet as you walked into the house. So why would you... You know, in, in Thailand, it, and uh, uh, quite a few Most of the places, your shoes are off you, before they, you set foot in the house. They do not even go in the house. They yeah. all stay outside, yeah. which I think, and if you think about it, you know, when you go in your house, in this country especially, the weather's not the best, is it? No. So it's consistently, persistently raining, which is, there's going to be dirt on the floor, and you're dragging that into your house on a daily yeah, basis. Yeah. I walk, in, I walk the front, in the front door, and there's a mat there, the shoes come off immediately. Simple. Yeah. I mean, sorry. I wouldn't like to say I had pet hates and things that bug me, but I think we've all got them, haven't we? And I I don't dwell on it, and it's not a major thing, but yeah, those things bug me. (laughs) Well, it's good to get them off your chest. Yeah, probably. You know, um, absolutely. No, it's interesting. The, um, you know, no, like I said, I don't want to talk about anything too low. Let's let's work on that. Like, you know, uplifting. This is what we're all about. You're an uplifting person. I like to think that I am a little bit. Um, Can you name, again, this is a bit of a double barrel question. Can you name three um, of the highlights of, of your life? Three, you know, I, I could say best ones. What do you feel that's been the best three things that's ever happened to you that stand out? I can definitely do that. And what's unusual, or maybe not unusual, but what's very clear to me is the things that I've done quite recently. So that tells you that maybe your life's going in the right direction when you're doing new things and achieving things at this point in your life. I don't look too far back because even if I'd had a great achievement years ago, it's not current. And a lot of people say, well, I used to be this and I used to be that. And I don't really say that. I say, I am this, I am that. It means that you're evolving, growing, expanding as a human being. And so uh, finishing my first 100 mile running race, that was, that was a good day. Wow. You know, a hundred miles running. Yes, yeah, that, that was that was a phenomenal. good day. Yeah, that was a good. When was day. that? It was last year. Wow. Yeah, a year ago, and I'd only been training ultra distance for about five months. Gone up from a marathon upwards. I'd only ever run two marathons, I think. So I did it like I do anything. I'm extreme, and I do it quick and hard and fast. But I did it. That was good because a real challenge, as I said very recently on the show is not you do something and you get better and better and better. And and that's great, but we're different. People are all different. And for me, I don't do something and then keep doing it and doing it and doing it generally, apart from this show, because I love it. But in sport, for example, I'll do a new challenge where there's a real possibility of failure rather than polishing, doing Ironman 20 times and getting a little bit of a better time each time. I'll do something new where I think, oh, actually, have I taken on too much? I don't know if I can do this. What have I done? And you go through all the negative stuff. And then when you do finish it, it's a great sense of achievement, oh, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The other thing that I'm, you know, a, a good memory or something I've achieved is I went to Egypt. I've been about seven times. And the first six times, it was so luxurious and comfortable that we never really left the hotel that much. I didn't see anything. And the last time I had food poisoning and I decided that I might never go back. So I went to see the pyramids, the Valley of the Kings, the uh, Temple at Karna, everything in 48 hours, hired a driver and blitzed a lot. And that was like a childhood dream, especially because I've read The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. It's a book all about the guy that travels to the pyramids. And yeah, I just stood there and I just had a moment and I thought, yeah, you know, it was a big deal because... I've worked as a civil engineer and worked in construction. The pyramids, I always wanted to go. So that was another achievement, shall we say. I don't, I don't know if you call it achievement, but something that I did that really made me, yeah, really made me smile, felt good. As for a third one, I think it's probably, and I remember there's a significant point as well, when I stopped being violent and angry, and those two initially went hand in hand. Obviously, later on, I did some martial arts and, and learnt a level of discipline and self-control. But, yeah, when I stopped being angry, and it, I did slip up about three years ago, I got angry with somebody, and then also about four years ago. So probably in the last five years, twice, I've raised my voice and got angry. I really let myself down then. I wish I hadn't, but I did. There's a better way. And if you're, if you're peaceful in here, that's what you're going to go out to the world, and you've got to, got to get that right. And there was a point in my life, a pivotal point as I went along where I remember once where the first time where I learned to walk away from a fight, where I could have won the fight, you know, I could have beat this other person up. And I didn't. I didn't. 
I chose not to. That was a turning point where I thought, you don't have to beat everybody up, right or wrong, you know, and I thought I was right. Learning to walk away from trouble, that was a significant point. That was a big, significant stage in my development as a human yeah, being. Not, yeah, mm. not reacting violently to everybody that pissed me off. And I know you don't swear, Sandy, but yeah. Sure <laughs> <laughs> house. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, that's interesting. Very interesting. And, you know, everyone's... Um, everybody's got their own, you know, feelings of a sense of achievement. And, you know, that's, that's very, it's, it's, it's encouraging to people that what you've just said as well, because a lot of people will have this feeling of, um, you know, empowerment is, is again, it's a, a double, double edged sword. People can use it in a good way or in a bad way. Um, you know, like misuse of power. Like I say with, with, with power comes great responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. If I'd gone away with the questions before the show started, I may come back with different answers, but these are, these are just what come to mind. These are, off this the is cup. the real you. These yeah. are the, and this is, you know, what we said right from the start, you know, these, you've never seen these questions. No. I mean, like I said, I only wrote them out at four o'clock this morning. So, you know, there's no way you could have seen them. Yeah. Um, I think know. it gives a, delivers a better show. It's yeah. real then, isn't it? It's real. It's not rehearsed. It's real, not planned. Real. Yeah. Real, real, you know, yeah. 100%. And, you know, I'm good on you for doing this. You know, a great idea, you know, back to front. Well, you know, what a, what a good idea. I remember when there was four people that had mentioned this or suggested it to me. You were one of those people when I, you came into the studio the first time, said it would be good if I interviewed you. And I had to go away and think about that for a while first and decide, was it something I wanted to do? And I, I love being interviewed, but I was very focused on what I was doing with the show, you know. But then I thought, actually... Uh, it's very cathartic. It feels good when you get to say what's on your mind, doesn't it? Express yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, because you're, you know, you're normally sat here in the hot seat asking everybody else about them. You know, what about you? Mm. You know, what about the man who's, who's made all this? You know, you've put a lot of time and effort and a lot of passion and your heart and soul into this. Um, you know, and you're letting other people speak out. And, you know, this is basically everyone who sits where you are, you know, you are helping them and they're helping others. Yeah. So, you know, it is really a way of giving out, you know, good karma. Yeah. Um, but it's good to find out, you know, what made you, you know, which isn't a question, by the way, but um, <laughs> as to why you, you know, you did this. Um, I forget time or maybe I, I might just throw that as an yeah. extra one, as you know, curveball. But um, no, it's, you know, we all have a mouth and, you know, we should use it. And I always said we should use it for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. Yeah. I'm sure we've all said something we shouldn't. And, you know. Yeah. Politicians do it on a daily basis. Um, yeah, and we won't go on. That yeah. I think but, with, so. it, with your mouth, you've got two choices. You can say certain words and make people feel good, uplift the spirit. Yeah. You can say other words and make them feel bad, and it's a choice. And as long as you're doing more, you know, making people feel good is your priority. That's what you're doing. Uh, we're all going to make mistakes, like you say, but making people feel good, it's a choice. And if you do that, you're spreading love, aren't you? You're going around and making the world a better place, and that's what you do, Sandy. Oh, Bless you. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Very kind of you. So, um, if, for example, and everyone says this, and it was said many times in the past, I know it tends to be a lot more now, but I'm just going to stick with this one figure. <clears throat> Excuse me, but what would you do now if I suddenly just, I've become like a multimillionaire and I just rack up here and I just think, you know what, Midnight McBride, he's a great guy, he's doing a great job. And I just pull a suitcase out and I drop a million pounds onto this table now. And you've got to do it on the spot. I know you obviously the old saying, I mean, I'm sure you would be like, I've got a feeling that you like this, but you know, you've got your own brain. Um, spend some, save some, as my mum always said. Um, what would you do initially right now with a million pounds? I can tell you exactly. Again, this is something I've discussed regularly. If I had more money than a million pounds, then the majority would be given away. That's straight away, that would happen. Uh, and it got to very good causes. If it was a million pounds, I'd... If I had a million pounds of my own money, I have a financial plan. I know what I'd do with it. And it'd be invested to some degree and I wouldn't have to work again. I know some people think that's not enough now, but yeah. if, if you're smart and you don't, I mean, what do you really need? You need food and shelter and you want to enjoy your life. But to actually live my life as I want to, it would involve an Arab boat. It's about 40k. It would involve a pad abroad. Uh, not a lot of money. 40 to 60K will get you a nice pad in Spain. That's about 100K. Tidy up a few things, buy a motor and stuff. So probably 200 grand of that would see me right, you know. Put a bit away and then I'd probably give away half of it, you know. The problem I have is you don't want to die with a load of money because 
the government will take half of it. You know, there's what they call death tax, inheritance tax. And you want to see the fruits of your labor. You want to see the joy you can bring in the world while you're still breathing. You know, do something good. Save a bit by all means, but don't have a load of money in the bank and hold on to it because that's not, that's not doing anything. It's not helping people. While you're alive today, you can change people's lives, you know, if you've got that kind of money. So it's a choice. But yeah, I'd be good. I'd have a barge, a pad abroad. I'd have a few quid in the bank. Wouldn't be doing too much apart from the things I love. And I'd be enjoy giving the money away. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah, you know, I think, again, uh, like I said, really, you know, these days now a million is not, you can spend it like that, can't you? Because everything's gone up. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, you know, how much is too much, you know, and how much is not enough. And a friend of mine has moved to Thailand, a student, uh, sorry, a Thai boxing instructor, good, good friend. He's actually went out at the beginning of the year, just before the, uh, all the crisis of COVID. And he's living a life now in the, uh, like the village, in the real Thailand, as I call it. Yeah. He's in the Northeast a place called Buriram, and um, he's living in a, 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 I mean, if you put that house here, uh, anywhere, forget London, you just, you put it in Bolton, it would be the size of it in the land, probably a, a million pound. Yeah. It didn't cost him a tenth of that. Um, mm. And, you know, he's, he's living his life there in a very easy, very simple, he's just doing, you know, they've got a little shop there, like a farm shop, they're selling um, vegetables, they're selling little ornaments, um, he's got a little a tie boxing bag up in the garage. He's just you know, it's that every every few days, just to keep in shape. Yeah, um, like thai wife, and mm. he's you know eating Thai food every day. It's a Buddhist country. Got the weather. Um, you know, he's got no worries. His 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 only worry is perhaps is if the, if the chickens wake him up in the morning. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, um, yeah. And he's absolutely grafted his backside off over here. Um, you know, to oh. go and do something what he you know good. he dreamt of doing, and now he's he's living that dream, and he's only in his uh, sort of mid fifties. So yeah. good for him. Good for I'm gonna say good for him. Good yeah. for him. That question, if it was a hundred million pounds, I might keep ten million of it. You know, it depends, yes. obviously, but certainly. Giving stuff away, I, I get a lot of pleasure and joy from doing that, and I do it regularly, you know. Sometimes when I haven't got it, which isn't so smart. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, okay, basically, um, the, the couple of the questions left really for you. I'm going to leave the uh, the last one, obviously, till the last. Okay. But uh, the, the next one is, what inspired you to do the Midnight McBride show? Okay. Well, I... I've done, I think, somewhere in the region of 100 radio shows on Salford City Radio, you know. I've done certainly 90 shows plus. I've, I've got the figure. I love doing the radio, but there are some limitations with doing the radio. And I decided that also it would be very good, because it's a weekly show, it'd be very good if I could do some recording uh, on the bounce. I wanted to be able to go around and interview people. So I got step one was get a bit of recording equipment. And I could record my shows or interview people because that's what I'm all about. I love hearing other people's story. You know, I find it fascinating and it's never quite what you think. Often you'd be really surprised and everybody's got a story. You know, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Lives was going to be the title of this initially. And then from there, I started delving into video a little bit and then I discovered something. I loved it. And it's not vain. It's nothing to do with vanity whatsoever. I think a story is so much more powerful and put across when you can see somebody when you can see the face when you see their expressions you can see what they're passionate about you can see how they feel and so that was how it began and then it, it just evolved naturally I started doing it I thought oh well you know maybe I could set up a studio and well if I'm going to do it I might as well do it properly let's get three cameras and, and it just grew and grew and grew and grew and but the essence of it is the same as the radio it's talking to people and I think it's really healthy really good for people to talk about trauma in their lives as well because if they've overcome that and they're still here telling other people sharing the story and saying my life was terrible so it's never too late and I'm still here so this is what I did this is what I learned and you can do it too and it's helping people in essence you know 100% I mean that's what we're saying before about you know how you put people in that seat you're helping them, they're helping you, and they're, and between you and whoever you, you know, sat in the hot seat, you're helping so many other people. Like you said, you can't tell your story when you're dead. No. And, you know, if you take something to the grave, it's in the grave. Just like, as you mentioned about the money. 
you know, you mm. can't, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's, you can't take money with you. You can't take possessions with you. You know, they're left yeah. here. You know, they're, they're going to be here forever, aren't they? And, and you're, you're gone. We're gone. So, you know, leaving a legacy. And all these things that you're doing now, you know, hopefully that you know they'll still be here in a hundred years from now, and you know, uh, yeah. come looking back on this stuff, well, and what did, what were people like in the uh, the twenty twenties? Yeah. yeah, well, with the video, hopefully, and certainly the book, obviously, it's registered with the, you know, it's in the British Library and various other places and stuff. So that's that's not going anywhere. That'll always be there, and that for me felt good. What inspired you to write this book? I'd, mainly, mainly, well. 2017 was when I wrote it. I'd always thought about writing a book. It was something on my uh, on my list. And then I got to a point, I'd been teaching meditation for a while, and I decided it just, it was time. And I shut myself away for quite a few months while I, while I did that, you know. And it, it was a calling. It was, I hadn't written since I was at school, and it felt amazing to get it all out. It was a really good way of expressing myself and, and getting some of my opinions and some of the thoughts that I had out. So it just happened, really, you know, happened. I think a lot of people, I mean, I've never written a book, and I think I touched on this last time I was yeah. here. Um, it's something that's definitely on my um, bucket list to do because there's so much up here that's, um, that you want to share with people. I mean, fortunately, I get to do stuff like this, you know, like you're you know, doing this with you now, and I've done quite a few po uh, podcasts and radio yeah. interviews, TV bits and bobs, and you do get your chance to share your knowledge with people. I've and recently watched your one with Paddy McGuinness, by the way, which is on YouTube, isn't it? Oh, yes, yeah. 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 Oh, he's one of the favourite guests, yeah. obviously, a Bolton yeah. lad, and he's obviously, he's, you know, he's, he's well-known through TV and stuff. Um, and he's salt of the earth, he really yeah. is, and he's so funny. It's got that Bolton humour, which, you know, I mean, there's so many um, <clears throat> really good, influential and positive and famous people have come out of Bolton, isn't there? Yeah. Um, you know, there, there is a massive amount of talent that, that's come from this town. And, you know, I'm always singing from the, the treetops and around the world, wherever I go, I've got Bolton on everything, as you can see. Yeah. Um, and when I go abroad and I go into these, these far off countries when I'm doing my commentating and stuff and people are you know, looking at me, it's this guy with a funny haircut. And, you know, as you can see, I, I don't blend in. Um, and, you know, they, they look at you and you can see the curiosity there. And I don't do it for that. It's not like you said before about it's nothing yeah. to do with ego. No. Ego doesn't pay your mortgage. Mm. Ego doesn't put food on your plate. Ego doesn't make you a better person. If anything, it probably makes you worse. Um, so, you know, why we do what we do is because we want to, not yeah. for attention-seeking or, you know, it's quite interesting how people perceive us because our eyes face outwards. I'm looking at you. Yeah. I can't see me. I don't know how daft I look. I'm looking at Midnight McBride. That's mm -hmm. where my eyes are facing. I'm looking at your book, you know. And so people, <laughs> interestingly, just the quote of, um, everybody says this quote, and they go, shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. But you are doing because that's why you picked it up. Yeah. If that said on the front of there, nothing. And I mean, let's just say, for example, my book was called Nothing. It probably would actually spark up a bit of um, yeah. interest, wouldn't it? <laughs> inadvertently, but, yeah. Yeah, inadvertently. Probably it's not the, maybe the wrong word, wrong choice. But if I've just put on the front of that book. Um, not much going on. Not much going on. I mean, well, again, that's not thinking this through, really. Um, I, don't, I think it's something, but um, I don't know. I mean, I'm now coming up with daft things, yeah, which are but, probably going to work now. Yeah. I need to but think of... My story, for example. <clears throat> yeah, my yeah. Story. Oh, yeah, my life. Yeah. And people are a bit like, oh, well, and? <laughs> Everyone's yeah. got one of them. Um, so we do judge a book by its cover. And... So when people look at me and, you know, they might look at yourself and they'll go like, oh, bald head and you're MMA fighter, whatever. You know, people might remember you, you know, as you said, you've been through that period. Um, and until they actually sit down and talk to the likes of yourself and find out who you are and how spiritual you are and how helpful and who the person you are, you know, the, the, there's all these pages here. And this is, this is you, this is your life. Mm. It's not just that front cover or the back. No. Um, and and what's know, important as well is with the book, when I wrote that in 2017, my life has changed a lot, you know, so that was me then. Then, yeah, yeah which is what but, you said before about, you know, it's, it's all about the now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that's why it's great and I'm happy I did it and everything, but I, I have changed in lots of ways since I wrote the book, you know, I'm evolving, always, yeah. I don't think, not even for a single moment, 10 minutes from now, you will have had slightly different experiences and you will be slightly different person than you were 10 minutes ago. And that's why something that works for you now, a certain food or a certain exercise or certain things, in five years, it may be something else that works for you. You know, everything changes. Everything's evolving, moving, expanding. 
Okay, so Mr. Midnight McBride, we're, we're flowing nicely with these questions. I've only got two or three left for you. Uh, I, I don't know. What's it, what's it, what does it feel like, first of all? Being, I know I've actually asked you briefly, um, but when people fire questions at you, I know you're doing this with, you've had one already, and I yeah. think you're doing four people like this. Um, are, you, are you slightly nervous the night before or on the day, or how do you feel? Not the night before, but just as we sit down, five minutes before, I think, Oh, because I'm usually, there is a control element because I organise everything, I plan the show, I do the notes, I drive the questions. All of that's taken away from me, everything that I normally hold on to, the structure's gone. So, yeah, very very slightly nervous, but it, it passes, yeah. you know. But it's a nice nervous, isn't it? Because oh, yeah. Because this is something you like doing, so mm. it's, not, um, it's, not a, it's not like a hard, well, I can't say it's a hard challenge. It's not a. It's not something that um, you think you're going to think. Oh no! It's something you think. Oh yeah, you know. And, and it's 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 stimulating, isn't it? Yeah. Um, to be asked questions and it sort of researches your soul and your and your and your mind and, and your past, um, the present, and obviously things that, that that can happen and you want to do in the future. I think the difference between being excited and being nervous or let's say fear, frightened of a future event, they're both thoughts about future events that you can't control that you have no control over. The difference is when you feel good, you're a little bit excited. When you don't feel good, you become maybe frightened sometimes, you know, and a bit scared. So if you feel good, it's it's the same. It's the same thoughts, but the prior, priority, your number one job is to feel good inside. And then all you really get then is excitement. Uh, I did say I didn't want to touch on too much negativity today. Um, but as you said earlier, and I was talking about that with you, um, about who we've become and how we've got to where we're going. Um, what would you say um, that, what, what was the, and, and you can just say one if you like, um, the lowest part of your life? The lowest part. Well, again, fairly straightforward, but, and it's, it's a bit dark and deep. I know you've never taken drugs, Sandy. It's not part of your journey, but I, I had a period in my life where I took a lot of drugs and I did it for a long period. And initially it was fun. We went clubbing, partying, all fun. But then the latter part of that period, which was a long period, it was 20 years of my life, then I was taking a lot of cocaine. And that was a quite a dark period for me. Not good, really. And also then... I suffered with depression, I had mental health problems and I had a nervous breakdown and there were a couple of periods where I was suicidal. So those those weren't good times, but they're part of my journey and if I hadn't done those things, I wouldn't now have the skills to use and tell other people how to conquer that period. You know, I, I'm currently talking with somebody on the phone, I'm speaking to them again tomorrow and they're having difficulty. And I can tell them, I can give them some good advice with that, you know, and tell them how I did it anyway. And I'd have nothing to write about either. So you see, it's all, it's all relevant. It's no regrets. It's happened and it's made me who I am. And out of the darkness comes great strength. The phoenix rising from the ashes. It's, it's only through those dark times. If your life's perfect and you just float along the crest of a wave, you're not going to learn a great deal. You've got to have those trials and tribulations. That's when you learn them all. You deal with difficult situations, you overcome them, and that's that's when you learn, that's when you evolve. Touching mm. on the subject of uh, drugs, um, if anyone who's going to be listening to this um, who are taking them, what would you say? To, and obviously we're not, we're not here to preach. I'm not here mm. to preach. People don't listen when you try and preach to people. I've been told that in the past. Don't preach, don't preach, Sandy. You're preaching to people, telling people what not to do and let them live their lives, blah, 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 which is true. This is right. But, um, you know, when drugs are so readily available these days, more so probably than ever, um, mm. you know, they all, you know, the things that I'm all just, it's a, it's not, that isn't a joke. It's not, it's, it's not something to joke about. But, you know, that don't do, don't do drugs, kids. Um, yeah. You know, what would you say to someone who was trying to get off, say, cocaine or, or uh, you know, um, you know, say, you know, people who are smoking weed and stuff. Um, yeah. You know, would, would you, what would you, how would you, how would you help well, them? There's a couple of important points. One is I don't think somebody that takes drugs is a criminal. People that sell them, maybe. But somebody that takes drugs, whether it's cannabis, cocaine, whatever you're putting in your body, you might be at a festival having fun, taking something, I don't know. You may be, you may have a serious problem with drugs. Either way, you need help. You're not a criminal. 
you know, I don't see it as somebody's, they're not harming somebody else. They're putting something in the body and it's self-destructive and they need help. So I don't see it as a criminal offence. I really don't. That aside, I also see different drugs in different categories. I don't see the certain what I'd call plant medicines that are used not for recreational use and they help people. And I don't see those in the same category at all. But to be specific, if somebody's taking a lot of cocaine, for example, if you take cocaine twice a year or something, still not great, but you've not really got a drug problem. No. It's just, you know, you're doing that and that's a choice you make and that's up to you. If you're taking cocaine on a regular basis, you've probably got a problem. It's very addictive, cocaine, and cocaine and alcohol go hand in hand. And if you are doing that, the first thing you need to do is be honest with yourself because you've got to, a lot of people are in denial. Recognise if you're taking it, you know, more than once a week, twice a week, whatever, you, you've got a coke problem. You know, you're taking the cocaine. And if you're doing that, you need to talk to somebody about it because it's very difficult, very difficult to deal with that on your own. And most people need a bit of help. If, right. At the very least advice. If not, they may need more than that. But And where do you go to for it? Everybody says talk. Mm-hmm. But where, where is the, you know, like there's nothing on here. There's nothing around me. I don't, nope. When people, if somebody come to me now and said, Sandy, I need help. And I've had that question, obviously. I'm, I'm sure you have. Yeah. Um, can you help me? And I'll go, I've, my answer to that, and I've said, I'll, I'll say it for years now, I've said it for years, I will try to help you the best I can. But if I can't, I know a man who can. Yeah. So where would you go to? Where, you know, is there like a, is there a, a national phone number? Is there a local phone number? Is there, a, yeah. is there a, you know, is, is there a man who can? Yeah. Well, there used to be something called Ask Frank. I don't think that's oh, the right. anymore. I remember you know, that, yeah. And, it was good because they were very honest adverts and people felt, and it was anonymous, so you could speak to somebody. There are certain hotlines and lines you can ring and groups you can go to, but also my brother and his friend Mark, Liam and Mark, have a company, and it's a charity also, called Wise Up. And basically, if you ring them, they will tell you who to speak to. If they don't give you the actual advice, they will point you in the direction. And they're Bolton-based, and they're... Yeah, they're going around a lot of uh, colleges and schools as well, giving talks about their life because Liam had a problem with drugs and Mark had a problem with gambling. So they were both addicts at some point and they both had help and they help people, they direct them where they need to go to get that advice. Brilliant. Um, Obviously, you know, this is not um, a a spurge and a a slur on you or anyone about drugs. And yeah, as you just said, you know, I just because I don't don't need them. I don't need drugs. I never have, thankfully. You know, yeah. I've not had to go down that route. And God bless people, who, you know, who, who people who can't say have to take them. Yeah. Um, it's still, I always believe it still is a choice. Um, you know, you choose whether you have tea or coffee. You choose whether to get up at 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. You choose to go to work or not. You choose to have your hair cut. You choose to grow a beard. You choose to drink. You choose to take drugs. And, you know, you choose to smoke or not. And I, I just, I firmly believe that there should be more help in the, mind health as i keep saying yeah um in this country it needs to be number one it shouldn't yeah. be number three seven eight twelve on the list um and you know for as much as everyone says you know you need help go and get help i just feel it's not at the forefront and i i, I wish and you know something that we, we touched on before that if you know we dropped on like i said a million pound no it sounds like it's not a lot of money of course it is you know a thousand pounds a lot of money but yeah. if suddenly on this table now they went right um you know Mr. McBride, uh, Mr. Holt, there is a hundred million pounds on this table each, um, and we want you to distribute that money. You can you're, you can keep whatever percentage you want. Um, could you tell us, please, where you would like to distribute that money? Um, you're allowed to keep you you have to keep a minimum of ten percent, but yeah. you can keep up to a hundred percent. So mm-hmm. disregard that number for a minute, um, as you've already said it. You'd like to give away quite a substantial amount. Um, I'm guessing you would put it on things like projects and certain charities and different things. And, and one of the things that I would do, um, which would be a, a you know a massive self help place but yeah. with the help of so everyone can go you know to go to this self help place and just say right I've got a problem with and you'd have a specialist you'd have set a big office up or whatever with you know phone calls a place where you could go, like a call in a drop-in center where people could go in and so then right you've got what well, i've got a drug problem right you go in and see yeah. mr, mr. Yeah. smith i've got an alcohol problem. you're going to see mrs smith i've got um you know i, I want to i want any smoking cessation you go and see mr johnson and i think you know there's the, the nhs are stretched you know they're an amazing absolutely amazing uh setup and you know they're fixing people on a daily basis 
Um, and there's only so much they can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, when, when you hear the government, um, you know, they lost, was it 15 billion, went on to some, some spent it on some PPE and it went missing or something. Somebody's got it. Where's that? How could you lose 15 billion? Um, yeah. How can you lose 15 million? In fact, how can you lose 15,000? You know, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. So I think, you know, with given with a lot of money, um, which unfortunately makes the world go around, we can make a lot of changes, but we could also make changes at a lower level. And this is why I asked you the question of where would you go when if you've got an addiction? Because every one of us has got an addiction. I'm addicted yeah, to um, yeah. endorphins. Ultra running. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. First of all, I think I think it's about four billion. That's actually the figure of the amount of money that's gone missing. Oh, is it that, right? That they can't explain all that they're not explaining at the minute. But the figure's sort of irrelevant. It's billions. It's a, yeah. it's a millions of millions. Of money, yeah. yeah. With addiction, again, there's there's a number of groups, but I think what we forget as well is a great place to start is if you have problems and you're really struggling. If you ring the Samaritans, they will direct you to various other groups, charities, people that help you, you know. I'm not an expert in this. I don't know all the places to direct everybody. I know one or two places, and then they do that, you know, and and redirect it. But, yeah, if you've got an addiction, people forget as well that gambling is... I have a very negative view of gambling because I, I used to gamble. And unlike, let's even say drugs, at the very bottom end of that scale, you could say that somebody's very occasional recreational use, and maybe that isn't harming them, and maybe they're having some fun. With gambling, there is, there is no positive. It just destroys lives. It just destroys lives. The lottery may be the only exception, but once you start to go on fruit machines, you're doing the horses, and I've seen it, and people have had property and had houses and had very successful lives and they've lost everything. I think gambling and advertising for gambling on television, I think that should be banned, you know, to allow somebody to advertise for gambling. You wouldn't, there wouldn't be adverts for drugs, you know, you wouldn't have that, but gambling, they allow you to advertise. We shouldn't be advertising gambling, in my opinion, yeah. Right, I'm going to come to the... um the ultimate question, Mr. Ultimate Runner. Okay. Um, it's nothing to do with that, by the way, even though that's super impressed me. And I remember you telling me about this. Um, yeah. Phenomenal. 100 miles is just off the scale because I've done two marathons like yourself. And yeah. I remember, you know, uh, just how hard that is. So to sort of do that nearly four times, um, yeah. you've got my absolute utter respect. <laughs> and um, it's just, it's, it's wow, wow, wow. That's, there's no other word I can think of, just W O W. But this question. I got asked this for a magazine once, many or oh, twenty years ago. Yeah. So I'm going to throw it at you. Okay. Um, if you could sit round a table and we could pick twelve human beings, six living. So I'll give you a few seconds to think about this. Okay. And the second part of the question is six from the past, so six of of, of past who've died, um, and they can be obviously famous, infamous, family, friends. Um, anybody, anybody in the world. So while I'm saying this, I know you'll be thought processing this. Mm -hmm. So again, I'll just repeat the question. Um, We're going to have 12 people around this table. Yeah, me not being one of them because I'm already here. Thank you for the invite. Um, 12 people, six to your left and six to your right or vice versa. Six living Mm -hmm. and six from the past. Which would you like first? Okay, I'll do living first. Okay, so take your time mm-hmm. um, because you might... In fact, what we'll do as well, because this is quite a... It's an open-ended question, really, and it's something... When I got asked this, it was Bob Sykes from Martial Arts Illustrated who asked me, and he actually, before the end of the interview, he'd done a, a photo shoot in his gym and stuff, and he'd done this big interview with himself. <clears throat> excuse me. And um, he then said, right, Sandy, blah, blah, blah. And he says, but don't answer now. Now, I, I, I got given the luxury. You're yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> he said, go home. Think about these 12 people and then send it me, you know, uh, text me, ring me, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So I actually had the luxury of a, a yeah. night to think about it. I think you'd be surprised how quick I can do this. So, okay, here we go. So the first six who are, did you say living? No? Living. Okay, here we go. Yeah, living. There would be Sadhguru, who is a mystic and guru from India, who is probably one of the few enlightened beings alive today. So Sadhguru. Eckhart Tolle, he's an author from The Power of Now, and he certainly, if he's not enlightened, he's very, very profound, and he's experienced a lot, and his wisdom is really right at the... Where is he from? Where does he live? 
Eckhart Tolle now, I'm not sure which country he lives in, but he originally went to, I think it's Oxford he went to, he had a nervous breakdown and in that process, he then became enlightened. Is he English? Is he an Englishman or is he? Again, I think... With that name, he sounds, yeah. I don't know, Austrian or... It's spelled T-O-L-L-E, Tolle, Eckhart Tolle. Right. And I would say, I don't know where he lives, and I think he's English, but I'm not certain. Hmm. Then there's Paolo Coelho, who is, again, one of the world's best-selling authors. He wrote the book The Alchemist and The Devil and Mrs. Prim. And, yeah, I would, I'd love to talk to him because the way he can capture his thoughts and put them into words so that you can still experience the sounds, the colours and everything on a page is, is mind-blowing. It's incredible, you know. So we're three, we're three in. We're three in. I would then probably go with... I'd bring Boris Johnson in because I think we need to have a word with him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, I love it, I love so it. So he'd have to come along and... Listen to what the other people have to say, actually, because these are, these are people with great wisdom. <laughs> great wisdom. I would also possibly... It's off the cuff, so you'll have to forgive me because I'm sure there's better options, but there's, there's three people with wisdom, somebody I think that we need to talk to. Musically, I'd probably like to... Still alive, you've got the likes of maybe JK, you know, who, a musician, somebody that for me, was groundbreaking when he brought out his first few albums. When a musician comes along, they normally put you in a box and they didn't know what to do with him. He was jazz, he was funk, he was poppy, he was dance music, he was everything, and an incredibly gifted guy. So probably bring JK and have a chat with JK as well. So I'm on, am I on five now, I think? I think I've got one more. This is it's tough this Sunday, you Isn't see. Yeah, That's why I got, I got 24 hours, I told you. Three, three, <laughs> three of each is easy, but six is very difficult. Mm -hmm. And let me it's see. It's like the Last Supper, you see. Mm. You know, I'd people. probably bring Joe Rogan in as well. Yeah. Yeah, because I like That's Joe Rogan. Yeah. I, I don't know him, but... Great podcast, one of the most famous, it, I believe. What's very good about Joe Rogan is a lot of people copy somebody else and or they maybe try not to copy them, but they're heavily influenced by them. He was the first to push this podcast. He's been doing it 10 years. He's done 1,500 podcasts. Nobody else had done it. He was the first. He was the pioneer. He decided it was something he loved doing. He'd had experience with comedy and he was a, a presenter. You know, he did, obviously, Joe Rogan did a lot of MMA fights as well as a commentator and stuff. And he just did what he loved. He's got a flotation tank in his studio, you know, and... He, I mean, I know it's not your thing, and I don't smoke cannabis, but he smokes cannabis. Yeah, it's legal. It. Yeah, there. he does yeah. it in studio. I know, doesn't he does it on the show. Stuff. He doesn't give a sod, does he? And he gets to meet all these amazing people, and all he's done is what he loved. And I believe if you do what you love, like what you do, then the money, the success, everything else, don't strive for that. Do what you love, and that will come anywhere because you're doing what you love, so you're not working. It's bliss and joy. Yeah. Those are probably my six alive, I think. Six dead. Not too difficult, hopefully. And I'll rattle these off. You'll have Gandhi, Buddha, probably Jesus Christ, Einstein, Leonardo da Vinci, and the sixth one is difficult. Uh, probably Yogananda. He was one of the first yogis to come to the Western world in the UK and he wrote a book called The Autobiography of a Yoga, which Yogi, sorry, which was the last book Steve Jobs read. And it's about his life. And he was an enlightened being. So that's six alive and six dead. It's a bit brief and off the cuff, but there we go. Like I said, you would probably, if you'd been given, just say, if you said, right, Sandy, one of the questions you've got to give me, um, you know, so I can be prepped for it and say that was the, the question. So I imagine now, um, that, you know, we're jumping 24 hours. Um, you know, and you would have a chance to change. You would probably change one or I'd two. I'd probably of those, change a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the first three of each would definitely stay. Right. But the so last have, three, yeah, there'd be some definitely still at the table. Yeah. Before you'd ask them to leave. Yeah. But you'd, have the, you'd have the starter with them. Yes. <laughs> but the last three, I'm, I'm, I'm just grasping out of fresh air. But, but yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. this is a question. You know, it's one of it's, it, again certain things stick in our mind. Twenty twenty years ago, I was asked that question, and I'll mm. never forget it. Of Bob Sykes, martial it, arts illustrator. It's, it's an interesting question, Sandy, because. 
Some people will bring somebody to the table because they're in awe of them and they want to learn from them. Other people will bring somebody to the table because they want to give them what for, because they think that yeah, they like, should change yeah. their opinion yes. or that maybe they're not what yeah. they've done isn't good for humanity. So mm. it depends where you're at, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I've heard different people when that question's been asked to other people as well. And other people, I'm, I'm just going to throw on names. Obviously, a lot of people will, will go, oh, yeah, I wanted to meet, you know, John Bon Jovi. Or, yeah. you know, I think when, it, you know, I can't remember who mine was, but I know some of them, one was Bruce Lee. Yeah, inspired me. Absolutely. Yeah. I said Madonna because uh, I thought she, I mean, I remember reading a book and she, she changed music. She really did. Yeah. Um, you know, she's a music icon <clears throat> and I'm not a mad person into music as in, um, also should I say, I'm not madly into like people have, they're absolutely crazy on, on certain musics. I've, I've always just been into dance music because it's quite, you know, it's physical, it's very, you know, uh, it's inspirational, it's motivational. I'm, you know, I'm not a deep musician type person. I've never played a musical instrument. I'd love to. Yeah. Um, but See, I'm already, I'm already thinking I'd change them because James Brown should be on my list and there there's others. Go. But, but yeah. you know, it is what it is. Now. No, yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, basically, you know, that is, it's, a, it's a great. Like I said, it's what, um, you know, again, you know, probably run out of time now. But you know, it's what question would you ask each? You know, like I've been given this opportunity, and yeah. you could say to, you know, for example, you got Jesus there, and say, Jesus, you know, quick question, please. You know, how many fish did you actually? Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think um, it'd be try and get inside the mind and ask them what inspired them. You know, because. Some people have had adversity and trauma and they flip that and that drives them, motivates them and inspires them, like you with bullying, possibly. Yeah. You know, other people have had a an experience in their life, uh, an awakening, this kind of thing. And what what turned them on? What inspired them? What drives them? That's, that's what I'd want to know, you know. Cool. Well, I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, it's been very interesting to be able to sit in the... Uh, Look at this. I'm in your chair. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. Get out of my wonderful. chair. Get out of my chair. <laughs> Give me the chair back. You know, um, you know well, uh, Midnight McBride, it's been absolutely a pleasure to be to have been able to sit this side of the table. Um, Sandy, thank you very much. Really yeah. appreciate you coming in. And it's been your pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> it's been my pleasure. Yeah. I just want to say, you know, thanks for watching, everyone. And have a great week. And we'll see you soon. Shallow.